I'm your host, Ken Lane, and this is the show where I bring on stellar guests from across the API universe to discuss, debate, and solve the latest topics around APIs and API first. Welcome to Breaking Changes TLDR, where we deviate from our normal weekly interview to focus on a specific topic, providing much more bite-sized segments for our subscribers to tune into. With Breaking Changes TLDR, we are looking to explore a diverse range of topics from across the world of APIs, but I'm really hoping to break things down in a way that make them much more accessible to a wider audience. Today, we are going to talk with Julia Kodish of the COVID Tracking Project about their very successful and important API. Let's start with the basics. Who are you? Uh, my name is Julia Kodish. Uh, I was one of two leads on the data infrastructure team at the COVID Tracking Project. Well, I appreciate you sitting down with me today. How did the, this project get started? It, it sort of started as um, it's actually two uh, two disparate efforts by by people who turn out to have known each other for a long time. Um, one was Alexis Madrigal, who's a journalist at the uh, and the other was Jeff Hammerbacher, who I actually worked with in the past. That's kind of how I got pulled into the project later. Um, but it, it started sometime in early March 2020, where one of the things that was happening is um, you know people were publishing disparate bits of data about the uh, the COVID. Pandemic. This is probably before it was even called a pandemic yet officially. Um, but the data that was more that was being circulated was pretty much entirely about case counts, which was hugely, hugely missing the point of what was really going on because at that point no one could get tested, um, and so no one was tracking tests. Uh, and so the original impetus um, behind the COVID tracking project was um, was Alexis and Jeff both realizing that there's this like huge unmet need and we're completely undercounting everything that's happening. Uh, and I, I think they both started maintaining separate Google spreadsheets and then they found out that, that you know, they were both doing that and then kind of joined efforts. Um, and then it sort of organically spun out from there. Um, it just sort of drew a bunch of volunteers, uh, like especially in the early, early days of the pandemic. Um, like a lot of people and a lot of techies, you know, were like, this is what I know how to do, but I'm totally helpless in everything that's happening. Like, what's, mm -hmm. what's the way to contribute? Um, so, so testing data was really the impetus, uh, at least originally, and then, it, then it kind of expanded more into like different kinds of tests, and then also, you know, what, what we called like uh, testing and outcomes data was kind of a core data set that we were collecting, and outcomes uh, was, you know, case counts, hospitalization, ICU, um, deaths, etc. It's such critical information, but why do an API? Um, I think a lot of people were. Uh, People were hungry to be able to do things like, you know, visualize the data or try to do any sort of modeling on it themselves. Like we were never a modeling shop. That wasn't that that was never the space that CTP kind of tried to get into. Um, so the, the goal was basically to provide as kind of clean and consistent and and real time data as we could, um, which is actually based almost entirely on manual collection as opposed to scraping um, state websites for, you know, for getting these numbers. That's that's kind of a whole other story. Um, but an API was kind of a, it was, it was sort of an obvious logical choice for being able to serve the data at scale. Um, you know, initially it's, uh, I think, yeah, in the early days, um, before, before we even had an API, the way that we would share the data was a public Google spreadsheet. Um, and then that obviously didn't scale almost immediately. Uh, and so the, the kind of like original version of the API was born. It's a real world example of an API that I think almost anyone can see is valuable. What were the biggest challenges doing this? 
I would say that maintaining the data as current as possible. So the, the, the kind of like data collection and data publishing machinery of the COVID tracking project, um, especially as time went on and we kind of had to scale everything at once, like we had to scale the kind of like human processes around data collection, um, had to scale like the, you know, the, the sort of like data capturing and data infrastructure systems and then ultimately the API that was going to serve that out. Um, keeping all of all of the tubes nicely connected to each other, especially as you know, as more people came on board to help with like all, what was ultimately entering data still into a Google spreadsheet. Um, the like basically just keeping all of the kind of like airplanes, you know, a, 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 this is a horrible mixed metaphor, keeping all the ships afloat at the same time yeah. um, and, and not disconnect from each other or, you know, like go out of sync or, or be old. So like one, one, one common example is um, in the in the beginning, editing historical data was was sort of an afterthought. Where like you know how how often can it really be that we're going to need to go back and say that you know like adjust Washington's numbers from a week ago, um, and then it, that that turned out to be an extremely frequent thing, especially as time went on, because you know a state would revise its official numbers, and we would have to reflect that in the data we serve. Um, and then that gets into things like, you know, how do you preserve kind of all the data edits that happen so that you so that we could go back ourselves and try to understand like why certain numbers evolved. Like data correctness was a huge, huge thing for us, as was kind of transparency both internally and externally. Um, so then that affects things like the data model. And then when you start talking about a data model, well, then it's like, okay, we need a storage mechanism. So then we ended up with like an extra layer between, you know, entering the data into a Google spreadsheet and then like storing it in, in some database with some data model and then writing an API that uh, that essentially did the did all of the data transformations to make sure that what we were serving was like actually the latest stuff that we wanted to serve without overriding anything. Yeah, that was a little meandering, but like, yeah, and build, building building that system in flight after we already kind of established an expectation with any users in the outside world that we would provide consistent daily data um, was was a whole process also. Well, once you commit to your consumers, it's really tough to turn back. What's what's the current state of the project? This this iteration of it is you know is pretty much done. Um, you know we were kind of saving the data for for posterity, but um, no longer kind of collecting or serving new data past the you know 365 days of the project. Um, there's, you know, there's some archiving potentially in the works for just making sure that we preserve everything that happened as part of the project. Um, but, you know, I, uh, like the API is no longer getting updated. I, to be honest, I'm actually not sure we're still serving it. I'd have to check. Well, it provided immense amounts of value at a very important time. But I'm really curious, what did you learn along the way? I feel like one of the main things I learned is that flexibility is important. Uh, this is maybe less directly related to APIs, but more just in general, like, you know, coming in from the tech sector, working on this kind of problem. Um, I think it's really tempting to, you know, take take whatever hammer you have to sort of the nails that you recognize um, and like build out technical systems or or infrastructure or APIs in this case, kind of the, the way the way that you're used to. And one one thing that that ended up being critical um, I think working within the kind of like larger COVID tracking project organization, especially as it evolved um, and scaled kind of in a bunch of different directions. And, and as 
a lot of things were shifting within the pandemic too. Like there was, you know, there was a ton of stuff that in March and April, 2020, no one could have, well, maybe not no one, a lot of people could have predicted um, Epi Twitter aside, but um, I, I feel like kind of like building flexible enough systems relatively quickly uh, that hit the right trade-off between robustness and ease and speed of implementation was definitely a learning process yeah. for me. And I, I, feel like, I feel like that was just like, that was just a cool challenge from kind of like a building things that are actually useful for people perspective. Um, yeah. And I think uh, APIs once, it was actually kind of an interesting one. So one of the, um, we, we had, we had an API kind of underwent an evolution also. And the very, the first version of it, once we, you know, decided we needed something that wasn't a Google spreadsheet um, was like, we would serve a bunch of CSV and JSON files. Um, and it was, it was unstructured, right? So like there would be like, for the most part, you can sort of split it into like data, which is just counts of various things that we're measuring, different kinds of tests, different kinds of outcomes. Um, and then uh, in this case, what I think of as metadata, which is like the state, you know, the date, Kind of however you represent that um but then uh over time having that data be unstructured especially as as we added like like antigen tests became a thing right before like we had there's this idea of like here's a COVID test and now we have to distinguish between the two different types of tests so how do you like how do you represent that in an api do you just like bloat an unstructured csv file which kind of have no choice at that point because you can't remove fields so sorry if this gets kind of too in the weeds no. um, but eventually we, we actually introduced like a, a V2 of the API, which possibly came a little bit too late to have real uptake with people. But that was like structured data where, you know, we had a, like a subcategory of tests and some category of outcomes and, and things like that. Um, that was just JSON this this time. Um, like CSV is wonderful for some things. And I think for, for kind of like quick and dirty, everything is happening really fast. We just need to be able to look at the data. Like it was great. But with the benefit of time and hindsight, you know, like API design is a luxury that in the beginning, in the very beginning, I would say we didn't really have. Um, and then later that became a lot easier and we kind of, you know, tried to do our best around that. Um, well, you really managed to rise to the occasion and help provide a resource that we all needed to make sense of what was going on. It's it's an amazing project. There's so much to learn in there. And, and thank you, Julia, for sitting down with us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Breaking Changes TLDR, where we take a quick look into a specific area of the API world. You can subscribe to Breaking Changes TLDR segments, as, as well as the full Breaking Changes episodes on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Or you can head over to postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes for more information. <laughs>